All right, good morning. Good to see everybody. Thanks for coming to Summit Crossing this morning, for braving the rain uh, this morning. If you're, say welcome if you're, if you're new. Uh, if you are new, we want you to make yourself at home as best you can do that. If this is your first, first time here, I know that can be a little daunting, a little intimidating. Uh, maybe some of y'all just moved uh, to Athens, kind of like us, like I just moved to Athens. I literally, this week, and we just, we, I did my first Fiddler's Convention, which was like a big thing here. I know, like, uh, people are really excited about the Fiddler's Convention. So I went there, and we went on Friday night, and, and there's like 5,000 of my best friends sitting out there uh, with me. And I listened to some people play harmonica, and they played uh, banjo, and they played something called a dobro, which I didn't know existed until my friends started telling me about it. And, and if you're there, you kind of just are like there, you know, like eating overpriced food, standing in line, uh, things like that. But then if you ever get a chance to go to the Fiddler's Convention uh, with Stephen Sims, who's the guy who leads our worship uh, right up here on, does, does the music, uh, he is the best guy to go to the Fiddler's Convention uh, in the world with that I know of anyway. In fact, he, he asked me to ask you to ask him to take you next year to the Fiddler's Convention with him because you'll stand there with Stephen and he'll tell you all the different all the different songs that are, I was clueless on what was going on. I was just like, that guy sounds like he's really, really good at the banjo. And Steven's over there like, like this. He's like, that's the, he's literally, that, that is uh, Stairway to Heaven in the banjo. That's what that is. It's the very first song you learn, you know. He's never going to win this. Like then I was like, really? Wow. These people are incredibly gifted and talented if that's like the first song you learn on the banjo. So my goal next year is to enter something. I don't know yet what it's going to be. Uh, I'm leaning not towards the banjo, though. Maybe the harmonica. Maybe we'll do that. And so if you are new here, uh, welcome to Athens. Welcome to uh, Summit Crossing. Hopefully you got a chance to go enjoy the Fiddler's Convention uh, fun times. Um, while you're here, our hope is that you can enjoy your time here. Uh, honestly, if you're not a Christian and you got dragged here by a friend or by a family member uh, and you're just kind of sitting here chilling with us this morning, thanks for, for coming. Um, our hope for you is that if you don't believe in Jesus right now, that you will by the time you leave today. So I don't want to like pull any punches with you. Uh, no smoke and mirrors on the stage. Uh, it's not what we do here. Uh, we just want this to be a safe place for you to be whoever you are. In the room, there's every walk of life. There's people who grew up in the church, been in the church their whole life. That's all they've ever known is the church. And there are literally people at, at our church right now that are coming to stuff that are antagonistic towards Christianity. Like, don't only really just not believe it. They're, they're antagonistic towards it, but they're exploring they're exploring. And so wherever you are on that spectrum, man, it's a safe place for you. Man, we would love to show you a little bit more about what that looks like to be part of our church, not just on Sunday mornings, but really throughout the week too. And so if you want to get connected more around here, man, just come talk to me afterwards. Fill out one of those cards like Brooke said. And as much as anything, uh, welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, the other update is an amazingly important update, probably the most important update of the week that we do every single week. Uh, it goes like that. There's our... JMO music. Uh, if you if you don't know, every week we update on COVID nineteen. That's our COVID nineteen theme music. Now the first song I got from JMO was forty five seconds long. Amazing, amazingly gifted artist uh, musician. Uh, and I said I don't know that we're ready to listen to forty five seconds of uh, of uh, COVID nineteen updates. And so he's like, I got you, man. I got you. So he came up with the shorter one. Uh, that is uh, the COVID nineteen update for this week. All right, let's move on. If you have questions, ask us, man. We're trying to make it as safe as we can. All right, it's a thing. It's happening. I'll update you if there's more updates down the road. But we'll over-communicate it. All right. Every week. I should rehearse this before I come up here at some point. All right. 
Hey, if you're online with us, welcome too. I didn't get a chance to say thanks for, for tuning in online. Um, we know that some of you are unable to make it in person, and we can't wait to see you again. And so if you are listening with us uh, this morning, uh, man, we, we are so grateful that you're still with us, um, even if you can't be here in person. And so if you have a Bible, open up to John uh, chapter 11. We're going to continue our series where we're going through the book of John. Uh, we're going to be in the book of John for a long time. We'll take a break over Christmas time. Got a really awesome, uh, exciting Advent season coming our way. I did say Advent in October, like it's coming. Uh, but So we're excited about that. But between now and then, man, we're going to stay in John, cranking through some really awesome stories that are coming up. In fact, the story that we're going to talk about today is one of those stories that if you grew up in the church or you're familiar with the Bible, it's a really popular story. It's the story of how Jesus uh, heals and brings Lazarus back from the dead. And so if you have ever heard that story, that's what is in John chapter 11. And, and it's, a, it's an amazing story, but just to start out, uh, just for the sake of, of the room right now, what, what I, what I want to remind everyone about is that what the Bible is about to claim is that there was a man, Jesus, who like was real and he walked planet Earth, and there's another man named Lazarus who was real, and he walked planet Earth, and literally Lazarus dies, like literally, and literally Jesus raises him back from death. It's like not a metaphor for how we're supposed to live our lives. The Bible's going to claim this actually happened. And so we're about to jump into that, that story. That's what we're going to talk about. And one of the things we love to say around here real quick is that just because the Bible says that something is true doesn't mean that you can't have any questions about the Bible. In other words, a lot of people in our culture here um, were never given a chance to ask their honest questions or, 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 or chase out some of their skepticism about the claims of the Bible. It's almost like a cultural taboo for you to have any real claims about the Bible. Like, like for you to, to challenge it at all was almost something that was out of bounds. And we just want to let you know that if you're here and you're struggling to believe the Bible, this one's really going to push you today to really believe it. And yet at the same time, I want this to continue to be a safe place where you go, hey, I have some issues. Can we, can we dialogue about that? Can, can you be patient with me as I wrestle through these things? And, and, and what I would say is if the Bible is true, this story is going to change our lives. If the Bible isn't true, uh, then why are we here? Like the music's really good. I'll give you that. Like the music's really, really good. So, so you can come here and be, we can be entertained by the music, but the music's so much deeper than that. Like because this is true, everything that we're doing like has such deeper value, such deeper power to us. Same is true with what we're about to read in this story that is familiar to so many people that if the Bible's true, this story is going to transform everything. And all I'm going to say in this story today, and there's a lot of different ways to approach this story, all I'm going to say today is that as we read the story about how Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, it's really going to show us a major principle about how God loves us, and then he's going to display that love in three different ways. So a major principle about God's love displayed in three different ways in the story. That's where we're going to go. So we're going to talk about God's love for us, which, you know, if you've been in the the church for any period of time, like, you're like, okay, love of God. And we always talk about God loving us, and I, I, I guess we're going to talk about God's love for us again today. And like, and I understand that people do that a lot. People stand up on stage, they talk about God's love. And one of the problems with that is oftentimes uh, people look at their lives and they go, here's the thing, you're about to tell me how much God loves me, and yet look at my life. Like, my life right now is utterly a train wreck, or I'm going through pain, or I'm going through suffering, or I'm going through hardship, or I feel persecuted, or I literally am physically in pain. And when I look at my life right now, like, it doesn't 
measure up to this idea that God loves me because there seems to be a disconnect between the fact that I am suffering and yet you're claiming that God is loving me. And so what ends up happening in churches and why so many people get burnt by church a lot of times is because you have these real things going on in your life and yet the church doesn't always know how to deal with them according to the scriptures and according to the gospel. What ends up happening a lot of times is people will step into a place uh, in, in certain places and essentially they go, man, I'm, I'm going through pain and I'm going through suffering. And everybody's like, you know what? Like we hear that, but we don't want to talk about it. So like <laughs> I didn't come here to like hear about your problems. Like I kind of want to sing the happy songs and just for a moment like smile at everybody and like give each other hugs. And then like I want to go to Lucia's for lunch afterwards. And like can we just like not talk about the fact that, uh, you know, you and, and your spouse are, are going through really tough times right now. And so the church ignores what's going on in your life, the suffering, the hardship, the, the pain maybe that you're going through. So that's one response. Or another response a lot of times is, is a lot of times the church goes, you know what, we're, we're, we're not gonna shy away from that stuff. It's, it's, you're, the pro- like, you're the problem. You just need to get over the fact that life, life is hard. It's painful. You're gonna go through suffering. You're gonna go through pain. In, in fact, you're gonna die one day and you just need to get over it. Like, you just need to learn to accept that this is the way life is. And so it's almost like we either ignore it or we completely embrace all of the suffering and heartache and death itself and, like, you're supposed to celebrate it. And yet here's Jesus coming into this, and now as he's going to do this whole story where he raises Lazarus from the dead, he's going to say something major about his love for you in the midst of you having to wrestle with so do I ignore my pain and my suffering and my hardship? Do I just completely embrace it as if it ought to be my friend? And he's going to come in and give you a completely different way that God wants to deal with that stuff. And that God wants to love you. It's a really, really awesome story. And so if you are suffering today, if you are going through hardship today, if it's painful, literally it's exhausting you just to be here right now. First of all, I can relate to you. And I just... I'm going to pray that God gives you a little bit of energy just to hang in this story for a bit because it's for you. And this story is a beautiful story. If, you, if you've ever read the story, I'm going to read you part of it and then I'll tell you part of it. And so if you have a Bible, open up to John chapter 11. Let me tell you the story and then we'll make those points out of the story. John chapter 11, starting in verse 1, says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Verse 3, so the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Y'all know the story? It's an awesome story. So what happens is, you know, Lazarus is ill. Uh, word gets to Jesus that he's ill. If Jesus can just get to Lazarus, then, like, he can heal him. And so what does Jesus do? He hears about it. He loves Lazarus, and he goes, so what we're going to do is I'm just going to camp out here for a couple days. I heard he's ill. Let's just stay here for a couple days. And so they hang out for a couple days, and he's like, okay, two days later, it's time for us to go on. And you can read on in the story. So he's like, we're going to go, and we're going to see Lazarus. And he's talking to his disciples. He's like, we're going to go see him. And here's the thing is Lazarus has fallen asleep at this point. And they're like, it's been two days. Man, that's like a pretty solid nap, like if he's fallen asleep. You know, like, why, why, why is he falling asleep? And Jesus, Jesus literally says to him plainly, it says, he says to him, hey, he's not falling asleep. He's, he's dead. Lazarus has died. And they're confused because they're like, 
If you would have just gone to him right away, he probably had like a cold or something, but then that cold has turned into now he's dead. And so if you would have gone two days earlier, you could have healed him right away. And Jesus over and over and over again is going to get questioned, why didn't you do it this way? Why didn't you do it this way? Why didn't you go to him right away and heal him right away? And so you, you see Jesus, and he goes into the village of Bethany, and, and Martha and Mary, Lazarus' sisters, are there, and they're mourning, and they're mourning in different ways. For Martha, it doesn't add up in her brain. How can God love us? How can we be God's children? And yet, this has happened to my brother. And so she meets Jesus as he's coming in to the, to the village. And, and he, he, she runs up to Jesus, and she's like, Lord, if you would have come a couple days earlier, my brother wouldn't be dead. And Jesus says something remarkable to Martha. If you look in verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And then Martha is like theologically astute, is like she's passed all of the Bible trivia quizzes, like she's, she is your, your go-to answer for all of your theological needs. And like Martha literally says in, to him in verse 24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. That's a very good systematic theology answer to what Jesus just said. And Jesus said to her in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And look at the transformation in Martha's heart. She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. That's a Jewish way of saying, yeah, you, you're the Messiah. You're not my rabbi. You're not a divine example of how I'm supposed to live my life. You are my Savior. So then he goes on, and Lazarus's other sister, Mary, isn't overwhelmed in her mind with grief. She's overwhelmed in her heart emotionally with grief. I mean, she's buried by her, by her grief for losing her brother. She's weeping, and she runs out to Jesus. And she says to Jesus, if you would have come two days earlier, like my brother wouldn't be dead right now. Like if you could have just come sooner. And Jesus literally says to Mary in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. By the way, that's a Greek word that means he was like almost like offended, like angry. Like it's not like a, it's, it's almost an expression of, of outrage at what's happening. And he was greatly troubled and he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see in verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible, good one to memorize if you're getting started, Jesus wept. We'll talk about that in a second. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, deeply moved again, goes, and what does he do next? I mean, y'all know the story. What does he do next? He literally goes to the tomb of Lazarus, and he says, move the, tomb, move the stone out of the way, and they're like, if we move the stone out of the way, Lazarus has been dead for like four days, it, it's not going to smell good. Like, you sure you want to do that? And he's like, I told you to do it, just move, move, the, move the stone out of the way. They move the stone out of the way, he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. It was probably louder than that, but I didn't want to scream into your ears. But anyway, Lazarus, come out. 
And the man who had died came out and his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. All right, that's the story, right? The story of Jesus raising Lazarus back from the dead. First of all, feel the weight of that, right? I mean, remember, feel the weight of that. Is it true? Is it not true? Because the Bible's real clear. This isn't a metaphor. This is something that happened. You realize that the essence of Christianity is not a divine program on how to clean up your life enough that God will have to give you salvation, but instead Christianity is literally the gospel. The gospel is good news of something that's happened in history. And so when you come to these stories, they're declaring that this actually happened. And so if you're going to understand who God is, you've got to understand the reality of this story. So again, you can have your skepticism about it. You can have your questions about it. And we can be patient. We can wrestle with you all day long. But I guess my, my question to you is, do you believe this story or don't you? Notice that throughout this story, believing in Jesus is the essence of what they're trying to do. Now, why? Okay, why didn't God just come in here and say, here's a good story. Lazarus was dead, uh, and so we raised him back from the dead. Look how powerful God is. Why didn't you just do that? No, instead, everything that happens in the story is done for a very specific reason. In fact, if you look at the story, there's a major concept about God's love. It's a major principle about God's love that we have to step into if you're ever going to understand the power of this story, and that's this, that God's ultimate love for us is to show us his glory in Jesus in order that we might believe. Because so people say, why did Lazarus have to die? And some people say he had to die so that God could show us that just like Lazarus was raised from the dead, Jesus is going to die for you so that you can be raised from the dead. So that's why Lazarus had to die. And I'll come back and say, well, that's true. That's not why Lazarus died. Jesus says it really, really clearly. I mean, he, he, he says it right there in verse 4. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. See, Jesus ultimately allows Lazarus, God ultimately allows Lazarus to be dead to show his glory. And so what ends up happening is that the primary way that God gives us his love is actually by showing us his glory in the face of Jesus so that we might believe. And the reason that's so critical is because everything that we need for our life, everything that we're chasing in our life, everything that makes us complete as human beings is wrapped up in God himself. He is the end game for the Christian. Do you understand the good news of the gospel? And I say this often, I'm going to continue to say it often. Do you realize that the good news of the gospel is not simply that your sins can be forgiven by Jesus dying on the cross? And the good news of the gospel isn't simply that God is making all things new. Like the goodness of the gospel, the ultimate good news of the gospel is that through the gospel, you get God. Like that's the gospel. See, God wants to display his glory to you in Jesus that you might believe because he loves you and he wants you with him. It's where your heart resides. It's where your heart rests. It's where your heart finds its peace and its purpose, life itself, which is very, very different than how a lot of people think about God's love for them. See, one of the dangers out there is for people who, who have been steeped in church kind of stuff for a long time, to begin to almost subconsciously at first, and then later on even consciously, begin to exchange the good news of God himself for the good news of the stuff that God gives you. 
And so what subtly begins to happen is instead of singing songs to God and worshiping him with our lives, we're actually singing songs to grace. We're actually singing songs to the concept of love itself. Or we're actually praising the idea of peace or salvation or even of heaven or victory. And what ends up happening very quickly is we exchange God in, in all that he is in his glory for the things God gives us and all of a sudden that stuff becomes our God. And this is why then it becomes so confusing to you in your life when you're suffering, when you're going through hardship, when these things that you have begun to worship, uh, peace, uh, love, uh, some sort of purpose in my life, prosperity, that you can name all these things that the gospel gives you. It's so it's so problematic then when you don't have those things, when your life is full of heartache and suffering and grieving and pain, that all of a sudden now, because you're worshiping the things of God, you have no God to worship anymore because they're not there anymore. And so what ends up happening then is a bunch of people look at God and they say, well, he can't be a good God because after all, he's not giving me all the stuff that I want anymore. And it just reveals in your heart that if that's your relationship with God, it may be that you are chasing after a different gospel than what the Bible's offering. Because the Bible's real clear that everything that happens in our lives is ultimately complex, but ultimately is pointing towards God himself in his glory. He uses it all for his glory. Including Lazarus' death, it was first and foremost to put on display his glory that those that would see would turn to him and believe in him. Have him. And so his ultimate display of love to us is not even grace, it's not even love. His ultimate display to us is his glory. It's him. Now the beautiful thing about who he is is oftentimes who God actually is is very different than how most people, a lot of people conceive of God himself. And that's why the scriptures become, when you read it through the lens that this is about God first and about his glory, the scriptures paint a picture of a God that is worthy of your heart's deepest affections, your heart's deepest love. In fact, the more that you begin to see God as he's revealed in Jesus to us in the scriptures, the more your heart is given over to him. And so what makes him glorious is that he has grace for us. What makes him glorious is that he has love for us. What makes him glorious is that he has peace for us. In fact, what makes him so glorious is he displays his love to us in these crazy, powerful, almost obnoxious ways when you really get down to it. I'll show you, man, because, because here's the deal. I want God, but I only want God if he's worthy of it. And unless he's a worthy God, why give your heart to him? And here we are with this apex miracle that Jesus does in John. It's the final miracle that Jesus does in John. It's really the apex of all the miracles in John. And here we are at this final miracle that just displays God's glory and his love for us in just powerful, powerful ways. Three ways he does that. Now these are just three ways that we have time for today. You can see it from a thousand different angles in this story. You know, the gospel's a multifaceted diamond, right? At best, I spend my career preaching to hopefully put on display a few facets of the beauty of that diamond. That's all we can do right now from the stage. This is why we gotta be in each other's lives, by the way. Just chewing on this stuff constantly. See, when we're in community, you can see even more facets of the beauty of who God is than we have time for today. But let me give you three of them real quick, okay? Real quick. I think it's a relative term. 
I've had multiple ones of y'all say, whenever he says we're going to do this real quick, you need to like sit back and relax for a while. It's going to be a little while. Okay, real quick. First, some ways he displays his glory through his love for us. First, he gives us his love by giving us his truth. <laughs> by giving us his truth. You remember Martha? Remember how Martha was grieving? If you go back to that place in, in, the, in the story where Martha is grieving, and remember he says, your brother's going to rise again. So here's your truth. You're grieving. You said, I could have healed him if I would have been here two days ago. But what, what you don't understand is your brother's going to rise again. And, and what she didn't understand was Jesus is about to do that for real. So she gives her the theological answer. She's like, I know he's going to rise again one day in the, in, the, you know, in the resurrection at the end of time. And he's like, no, no, hold up, hold up, hold up. I am the answer to all of your theological training. He says, literally, I am what all of your religious upbringing was trying to point you towards. All of your training, all of your theology, all of your head knowledge, all of your Bible study was ultimately about me. That resurrection that you're pointing to in the future has arrived. I am the resurrection. I am the life. And because I am the resurrection and I am the life, there is nothing going on right now that is beyond me. For Martha, literally, your brother will rise again. She's like, one day in the future, and he's like, no, no, no. I've arrived. The future is here. And here's what Jesus did, was he just gave her truth that transcended the problem she was going through. See, God's going to love you enough that no matter what you're going through, no matter how hard life is right now, how painful life is, how much suffering, look, maybe some of you are going through chronic fatigue, chronic pain. Listen, if you're, if you're in that place, I can relate to you. I know, I know that, that that in that moment of chronic pain and chronic fatigue, you, if you go through that, you know that it's not the fatigue and it's not the pain that are the ultimate problem. One of the, one of the real things that you go through when you're struggling with that stuff is you get to a place where you feel so isolated, so abandoned, that it begins to mess with your brain, man. You start to go, how in the world can my theology gel with what I'm feeling right now and how I'm feeling right now? It just feels like such a disconnect and Jesus is coming even in those moments of your darkest needs, the darkest nights that you're going through, and he's saying, even in those moments, I am the truth you're seeking. I'm completing truth. Do you know what completing truth is? You can know stuff and not know stuff. So you can know about things but not know anything about those things. I know that the dobro is an instrument in a bluegrass band. I was told that by some friends, and one of my friends even plays one. She's an amazing, I told her to enter into the contest next year. So I know that the dobro is a thing, but I don't know the dobro. I don't have the complete understanding of it. Jesus comes in and says, you know the truth, but I'm going to complete that truth. Everything that you're chasing and your answers for why you're going through your suffering right now, everything that you're chasing for your answers on why you're in so much pain right now or why your loved ones are so distant from you right now or why you and your spouse can't get along or why you feel lonely all the time, all of the answers you're chasing, I am the one that you're actually searching for. In fact, there isn't a problem going on in this room right now that he isn't the answer to that problem. I've been to Los Angeles. I've been to New Orleans. I've been to Dallas. I've been to Houston. I, I, I've, I've been here in Athens. I've seen so many different walks of life with so many different problems, and Jesus is coming in and saying, here's the thing. The gospel transcends every single one of them. 
He is the answer that you're looking for. And so for those of us that are struggling right now, we can't get our minds around how can this be going on. Here's all that Jesus is saying in this right now is, could it be that if I am God, if Jesus is God, that he knows more than you? That he has a reason for what you're going through, and that reason is important enough that he's allowing you to have to go through it right now. And even though you're in the midst of the storm and you can't wrap your brain around why he would allow you to go through this, could it be that because he is the resurrection and the life, he has a very real reason for it? And maybe you'll never know. But he's saying, even though you don't know, I am still coming in everything you've been searching for. You don't have to go look out there for something else. I've already arrived, and I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am the solution to all of your pain, all of your suffering, and all the hardship that you're going through. You know, if you don't have a God that does that for you, then you are anchorless in your life. And that is not a loving God. It's not certainly a glorious God. Like, if you have to bite your fingernails and guess, is God for me or against me? That, that, is, that is a roller coaster of faith that you do not have to ride. Jesus is coming in and saying, I am the resurrection. I am the life. I know everything that's happening right now. And I complete this truth. And that's loving, man. You got to have that anchor. It can be hard to hear it sometimes, but praise God that he isn't doing what a lot of people do. He isn't looking at people's death and people's suffering and their hurt and ignoring it. He's going, it's very real. He's also not going, but you should embrace it as if it's your friend. He's like, no, no, I've come to do something about it. And so we'll talk more about that in a minute. But the second way that he shows his love for us isn't by just giving us his truth he also gives us his love by giving us his tears, by giving us his tears. You know, he goes to Mary. Mary isn't struggling with like the intellectual arguments for the existence of God, right? She's not there. She is so lost in her grief. She's, she's in the throes of her pain so deeply that she can't even think straight. I mean, literally, she hears Jesus is there and she takes off running at him. Like, she doesn't even know what's going to happen next. I mean, I don't know if she's going to, like, open field tackle him. She probably doesn't even know because she's so, like, overwhelmed by her grief. And so she runs up to Jesus. If you would have come two days later, I wouldn't have to feel like I feel right now. Like, you just, why didn't you come sooner? And Jesus in that moment does not give her a theological lesson. Do you notice that? Because, look, when people are suffering and when they're going through grief, for sure. How many times have you seen people that are going through grief and someone comes up to them and just gives them like a Bible verse and goes, hey, you know, you just really kind of need to believe this verse a little bit more. That'll help you out. Now see you later. Like, notice Jesus doesn't run up and go, hey, let me solve this with a theological argument with you. Why are you worrying? After all, you know, there's a resurrection that we can all have. That's not what he does because at the end of the day, God isn't just completing truth. He doesn't just want to give you his mind. He wants to give you his heart his heart so that he says take me to see the body and then he weeps he weeps with them why why does he weep with them because the God of the Bible understands what you're going through he relates to you he sees you in your heart heartache right now he sees you in these dark nights that you're trying to get through right now 
He understands the pain that you're feeling right now. And he doesn't, from a distance, just go, get your stuff together. Instead, he comes right into it and weeps with you right now. Because Jesus says, look, I'm not going to ignore the death that is on you right now, and yet we're also not going to embrace it as if it should be your friend. Jesus knows that we live in a fallen, broken, sinful world. And so for him to have gone and just pretended like death wasn't that big a deal, like for him to say, where's the body? And then they're like, it's right over there. And he's like, well, hey, y'all, come here. Check this out. Like, watch this. And like, he just runs over there, like all excited to show him what he could do. That would ignore the fact that death is our greatest enemy. And it's never to be embraced as our friend. Death is the epitome of what's wrong with sin. When we try to take on the role of God in our own lives, the Bible says that sinful heart causes smoldering ruins all over this creation, and it results in our death. And so for Jesus to like sweep that under the rug and be like, (laughs) uh, we don't even need, like, let's just embrace it as our friend or let's just ignore it, he would not be loving to us. Instead, he sees you in all of your suffering, in all of your pain, and he knows you living in a fallen, broken world, he can relate. And he weeps with you. It breaks his heart to see the pain that you're in. And he's not hiding from you. And so often you're not allowed to be honest about where you really are in your heart, man. You've got to put on masks. And you've got to say, dude, I've got it all put together. If I'm being real with you, um, I would prefer to stick to the Bible study stuff. Don't ask me about what's really going on inside of me. And the whole time, God is saying, I'm the kind of God that doesn't just want your brain, doesn't just want your Bible studies, I want your heart. Are you emotionally a wreck right now? Jesus relates to you. He relates to you, and he says, it's okay, I am here with you. How great is that? There is no other God in the universe, there's no other God in this world right now that claims that. No other major religion says the central person in my religion is not only um, all truth, but they're willing to go into your life and suffer with you. There's no other major religion that does that. Only Jesus comes in and says, not only only are we not going to ignore the the problems that are going on in your life, but we're going to call them an enemy and I'm going to weep with you. And I'm going to relate to you. And I'm going to ultimately do something about them for you. And this is why we don't just need a God that displays his love to us with truth. We don't just need a God that displays his love with his tears with us. Ultimately, what brings those two together and makes God ultimately glorious is we need a God who displays his love and gives us his love through his power. Through his power. And that's what you end up with in this story, right? I mean, look, you have a God that literally walked planet Earth, like we said at the beginning, and and Jesus walked planet Earth. He sees Lazarus dead, and he goes, I've got enough power to say, hey, uh, come out of the grave. And it's not like he had to wrestle in that moment. He just said to death itself, give up Lazarus. And death was like, cool, 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 cool. It's, it's good. That's how powerful Jesus is. Because Lazarus just comes walking out. The dead man has been resurrected again. By Jesus' simple words, that's how powerful he is in this story. Here's the question that you have to wrestle with. How powerful is he to you? What is this resurrection that he offers to you? Do you realize that without the resurrection, the Bible's really, really clear throughout the rest of the New Testament, they're saying it all the time. If the resurrection didn't happen, 
If this isn't true, then our faith is a mockery. It's a joke. You ought to envy or you ought to pity us, not envy us. But if the resurrection did happen for the Christians, at least the Bible Christians, it was everything to them. Because we do know that ultimately, even though Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, he was going to go and die a death and be risen from the ultimate grave. So we know that this resurrection did point to Jesus' ultimate resurrection. And if you stop and think about it, if you understand the power of the resurrection, it shows you the glory of God all over the place. I'll give you a couple of examples. Like, first of all, do you realize when when Jesus says, I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he interrupts the death of Lazarus, knowing that by doing that, it's going to cause his own death. Because after this, everybody looks at Jesus and now they're afraid. They don't get it. It doesn't, it doesn't register. This kind of power was causing all of the skeptics to go, we got to get rid of this guy as soon as we can. And we know that from this point on, we're going to be marching to a cross. And so he literally, he interrupts Lazarus's life, knowing that it's going to cost him his own life. And now I want you to think about why he died for a second. Yes, he died to display the glory of God. But the glory of God is ultimately displayed in Jesus' love for us as he went to die. So in other words, he could be glorious, just die on a cross, but it's why he went to die on the cross that makes God so glorious. Jesus goes up onto the cross knowing who you are. He's seen all of the pain in your life, all of the hardship in your life, but he's also seen all of the sinfulness in your life, all of the guilt, all of the shame that you have, and yet he goes up onto the cross anyway for you. And what he does is he dies the death that you deserved for your sin. And as a, as a result, you get the resurrection that he deserved for his perfect life. So Jesus goes, I am the resurrection and I am the life. By believing in me, you can have the death problem dealt with. You can say to death itself, you aren't my friend, you are our enemy, but where is your sting, O death? Because after all, if I have been risen back to life through Jesus on the cross, what can this world throw at me that can take anything ultimate from me? What, you think my physical health is all I have? So, so, so if, if, I, if I'm in pain all the time, somehow God isn't true anymore? Do you realize he relates to my physical problems, my my physical pain, and there is a day where I will not feel this pain anymore because Jesus didn't just talk about it, he defeated death itself. So some temporary pain I can begin to cope with because I know that not only will he reign forever, but in the moment he's going to give me his presence enough to make it through the night. Do you know how often I've had people pray for me in the last three years? Give Bill just enough of your presence to make it through tonight. And every single time, he met me with enough grace. And he will for you too. Some of you are so overwhelmed by your shame and by your guilt that you wish all this could be true of you, but you just go, man, I, I've, I've sinned too much. Um, I've gone too far. And, and so there's no hope for me. And and. and To that, Jesus is saying to you right now, I see everything that you've done, and yet I declare that I love you enough to not only give you truth, to not only give you my tears, but to give you my power. I died on the cross for you. 
This is why we say our sin can't outrun the fury of his grace for you. For some of you today, what you need to hear in the story about your own resurrection is just to trust him that his death on the cross was enough for you. And so come back to the table. You have the life. For a lot of us, we can't keep perspective on everything because we lose perspective that, yes, uh, we will die and one day uh, we'll be with God forever, uh, yet at the same time, even now, we have the very Spirit of God in our lives. And I want you just to chew on this today, that if you can't keep that perspective, that uh, your perspective is just, I can't wait to die and be in heaven and just take me now, God. Even right now, remember that the same Spirit that rose Jesus back from the dead is alive in you. And so that same power that had the power to bring Lazarus up out of the dead, the same power that had the power to bring Jesus back from the dead is the same power that resides in you, not someday when you die, but literally right now. Right now. I mean, what can the world throw at you? I know it's hard. I know that you're tired of putting on masks. I know that there's some of you, you just want so bad to finally come to someone and say, here's the real sin that I'm addicted to and I've never told anybody else this because I think that they're gonna reject me and you're just looking for that moment where you can just drop the mask, be yourself and see if you still have life and Jesus is saying, come, share it with me, see what happens. And what's left is when we turn to Jesus and we see that he loves us with all truth, he loves us with all of his tears and all of his heart, and yet he also loves us with all of his power, he becomes glorious to us. There is no higher goal of my life than him and his glory. There's no greater reward that we get in the gospel than we get him in our lives. Like, do you see him as this incredibly beautiful God that loves you enough to give you his glory by doing these things for you? It's a beautiful story. And it's one that over and over again we pray that you'll believe. Let's pray. God, that is my prayer this morning, that we would believe. God, not believe just in some empty ritual, um, not, not believe in some empty theological truths, not, not believe in some empty sentimentality that, that can comfort us in our storms, that we would believe that you are all-powerful, powerful enough to defeat death itself. And so, God, I pray that you would give us faith today to believe that. I pray that that would come because we see your glory in the face of Jesus, what he has done for us, and what that tells us about who you are. I pray it would overwhelm our hearts and that we would turn to you and believe you. So today, there are people who have never believed in you before. They're either listening to this or in this room right now. Holy Spirit, we pray you would open up their eyes to see your glory that they might believe. Give them faith to believe. God, there's some of us in here that are so lost in the pain and in the darkness and in the dark clouds around us that we have no hope right now. Give us eyes to see that you haven't left us. You're here in the midst of the storm with us. You relate to us. You're you're suffering with us, and yet you also have enough power to ultimately not only give us grace for today to make it through our pain, but that you will one day relieve us of all of it completely, and we will live with no more tears, no more suffering, no more effects of sin. Death will be defeated. Where, O oh death, is your sting? We'll be able to mock death 
because of what you've done for us. God, these huge claims about you and your glory are so difficult to grasp, and so we need your help to believe them this morning. But God, what an amazing God you are. Even, even though we have our doubts, even though we have our struggles, Lord, even now we can turn to you, not, not perfect, not having it all figured out, not even understanding why we feel the way we feel or why we're going through what we're going through. We still turn back to you this morning, and we worship you because of who you are and who you've shown yourself to be through Jesus. So, Father, we love you. We pray that this morning you would receive the glory and the worship that are yours alone. We pray this to you, Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, every week, we, we close out the service by worshiping God in a couple of different ways. The first way is we do that by celebrating the Lord's Supper, which is a ritual that the churches have been doing all over the world uh, since the church began. And the Lord's Supper is a, a way for us to celebrate the good news of the gospel, uh, that Jesus died for us and that he rose again three days later. And so if you have a cup in your chair, you can open up the top and there's a piece of bread in there. And the bread represents the body of Jesus that was broken for us on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. But for today, what I want you to think about before you take this, just briefly in your heart, is I want you to think about Jesus' death on the cross for you. Think about what that accomplished for you. No matter what your circumstances are right now, no matter how uh, painful life is right now, for just a moment, put all that to the side and think about the fact that when Jesus died on the cross for you it was such a powerful moment that you now through faith in him can have resurrection you can literally have the resurrection and the life through his death on the cross for you and if you have that think about how it puts in perspective everything that you're going through right now you know if you can turn to him and you can allow yourself to believe in the grace that is the cross then I encourage you to take this bread with us today on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he passed it around to his disciples and he said, take this, all of you. This is the bread of my body that will be broken for you so that your sins may be forgiven. Do this in remembrance of me. The second part is this grape juice right here. If you open up the cup, it kind of peels back right there and that grape juice uh, represents the blood of Jesus that was spilled for us. But the blood of Jesus in the Bible actually represents the new covenant that God has made through with us through the gospel. Another way of saying that today is that if you want to take this cup with us, I want you to think about this for just a second. That yes, your sins are forgiven, and, and yes, that gives you perspective to all the things that are going on in your life. But here's what I ask you, can you believe today? Can you also believe that in that new covenant, God wants to be with you? When you're suffering, he wants to go down in that and weep with you. When, when you have victory, he wants to celebrate with you. He wants to know every part of you because he loves you so much that he wants you to be with him. And if you're with him, that means that he will give you enough grace to make it through whatever the hardship is that you're going through right now. Do you believe that kind of new covenant that you get God through the good news of the gospel? If so, then I encourage you to take the cup with us. Later that same night when Jesus was with his disciples, he took a cup and it full of wine. He passed it around to his disciples and he said, drink this, all of you. This is the cup of my blood, the new covenant that will be spilled for you. And so do this in remembrance of me. 
Will y'all stand with us, with, with me as we, as we pray and worship him? You know, Father, as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus until he comes. And so we turn to you now, our great king. What other king is like you, God? What other king is worthy of all the praise? The lamb that was slain for us that we might be made alive again. God, we praise you for all that you are, all that you've displayed through your glory in the face of Christ. And so it's to you that we turn and worship. Pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.